So today's reading is from Acts 21:37 to 22:21. Paul speaks to the crowd. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, "May I say something to you?" Do you speak Greek? he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to your people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon I came near Damascus. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I asked the Lord. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Anasius came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephan, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, or whenever you happen to be watching this. It's great to have the opportunity to join with you. Uh, my name is Reverend J.D. Lawrence. I used to be part of the ministry team in Aberystwyth, and I still have many happy memories and friends from that time, us and our family. I now work as a tutor at St. Paddon's Institute, um, the training arm of the Church in Wales, where I help to prepare people for licensed ministry. But I want to tell you about something that happened to me just a couple of days ago. I was on a long journey in the car, um, thankfully had enough petrol. It was just before the petrol crisis started. And uh, I'd been driving for about two hours and I thought, you know, I really need a break. So I pulled over, I stopped, and the place I, I picked to stop was quite nice. There was 
sort of a kind of a sports field place and a bit of a woods. I thought this is perfect. I, I can have a little walk. I can stretch my legs. I can have a snack. My wife had kindly put some snacks in the back of the car for me. So it was maybe 7.30, something like that. So the light was starting to go, but I could still see you know, well enough to, to go for a walk around this field through the little woody bit. Back to the car. It was maybe 20 minutes, something like that. Had my snack, got back into the car, um, pressed the clutch down and then pressed the, the start button because that's how my car works. You don't have to physically put the key in. It just kind of knows that it's there. So this is what I do. And then I see this message flash up, key not detected. I'm like, OK, it's done this before. Let me just try again. Press the button, key not detected. Well, this is crazy. I, I know that I've got the key because I just drove here. Must be between the seats. So I look down there. It's not, it's not there. Ah, no, wait, it, it's in my pocket. That's right. I put it in my pocket to go for the walk. So check my pockets. It isn't in my pockets. It must have fallen out in the, in the back when I was getting my snack out of the bag there. So I go around the back of the car, have a look where the bag was, where my snacks were. And it's not there either. And I suddenly had this rising sense of panic that it's now getting quite dark and the keys have probably fallen out of my pocket somewhere in a completely dark field and woods. And I'm stuck. I'm stranded. Have you ever felt like that? In life or maybe in your faith? Perhaps you've been going well in a certain direction, but you just feel like you've got stuck. You're stranded. It's as if you just don't know how to go any further. Maybe you just feel like you can't. Maybe what you need is, is a key. You're just like, if only I had a, if only I had a key to, to help me to get going again. And you know, literally, that's what I needed. I needed the key to get me going again from that place of being stuck. Now, I've definitely felt like that in, in my life as well and in my faith, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one. And actually, Paul, in the passage that we just had read from the Bible, he was literally brought to his knees because he had spent a while going in the wrong direction. He'd been persecuting the church and God shined this huge light and he stopped. He was stuck there in the blinding light on the road. And the passage that we have, he's having an opportunity to tell people that are listening what happened to him and basically tell them about this crisis moment, this crucial part in his life where he got a new start, a fresh direction. And what we find in this passage is that there are two questions that Paul asks. And what I want to do in this short talk is just to point out these two questions and suggest that just as they're key for Paul, that these two questions can also be the key for us to get in going again if we feel like we're stuck in our faith. But the thing is, we have to want it. When I was stuck in my car, I wanted it because I honestly thought I'm going to have to sleep in my car until it's light enough for me to go and look around this field. Paul, when he fell to the ground, he could have just laid there, but instead he called out to God. Now, I didn't want to just stay where I was. I didn't want to remain stranded in my car. So I called out to God and I said, I'm going to need a miracle here, seriously, because I mean, this could be, these keys could be anywhere. I don't know where they are, but you do. 
So show me the key that I can move forward again. I phoned my wife back home and asked the children and I said what had happened. And I said, can you please pray that I'll find these? And so we, we prayed together on the phone and we asked God to give one of us a picture in our mind of where these keys could be, because I've heard of him doing this stuff to people before. And so we put the phone down and then I just had this sense come into my mind of a particular part of the field where, or where I'd walked. And so with the limited torch power that I had, I, I went there and took me a few minutes of looking around. But then, sure enough, I looked down and I found these in the grass in this massive field. God gave me the key to enable me to move on from being stuck where I was because I called out to him and asked for it. Now, the key that changed everything for Paul was these two questions that he asked, and they are these. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 8, Paul says, who are you, Lord? Okay, that's the first question he asks. Who are you, Lord? And he follows it up. In a couple of verses later with the second question. What shall I do, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And what shall I do, Lord? So they're actually linked, but we'll take the first one first. Who are you, Lord? He asks God for a revelation of who he is. Who are you? And he receives one. The reply he gets is, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, this was a, a revelation greater than what he'd received before, because clearly he didn't know Jesus was actually alive and able to speak to him personally like this. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been persecuting him and trying to kill his followers. He had heard of Jesus of Nazareth, but he hadn't heard him speak personally and powerfully into his own life like this. Let me ask you the same question. Maybe Jesus is a name that you've heard of but you've never heard him. Maybe Jesus is a name that you've heard of, but you've never heard him speak to you. Paul was taken totally by shock at this, but it was the beginning of a new start. So I want to suggest that part of the key for us is to ask the same question, to say, who are you, Lord? However much we think we know about Jesus already, to ask him for a fresh revelation of who he is. Show me who you are, Lord. Now notice that right from the start, Paul calls him Lord, which means master, because he's not interested in a kind of distanced, non-personalised sense of the identity of Jesus. It's not just an essay question he's trying to answer. He's asking for a revelation of Jesus's identity from a posture of obedience. Who are you, Lord? And this is absolutely crucial because if he just said, who are you? And Jesus told him, well, then perhaps Paul could just kind of shrug and go and make a cup of tea and have a nice biscuit and, you know, great. Thanks for that. And likewise, if we simply pray to God, show me who you are. Well, maybe he will. Perhaps we'll have a nice experience, but then we too could go and make a cup of tea and actually nothing really changes. But if we pray, who are you, Lord? then it means we're asking Jesus to show us who he is. And we then are being willing 
to respond to that. So as Jesus reveals himself personally and powerfully to Paul, Paul then immediately asks the follow-up question, which we see just a couple of verses later. What shall I do, Lord? Verse 10. Do you see how revelation leads to reaction? If we see Jesus for who he truly is and call him Lord, Master, well, then we too are going to ask him, what shall I do, Lord? And do you see how you actually can't have the first without the second? If you're willing for Jesus to show himself to you, then you've got to be willing to meet the king and the maker of the universe before whom heaven and earth bows and be willing to join in bowing the knee of your own life too. Are you willing for that? Because if you're not up for it, then don't ask him who he is. Don't ask Jesus to show you who he is. Don't pray, who are you, Lord? Unless you're willing to follow it up with what shall I do, Lord? Because Lord is not just a statement of identity. It's, it's, not, it's not some kind of nickname for Jesus. Calling Jesus Lord is actually more about you than it is about him. Did you know that? Because he already is the Lord of heaven and earth. That's not changing anything. But you calling him Lord is saying that you're willing to do something about who he is. You're willing to do what he says. The word alone isn't going to get you anywhere because Jesus himself, actually, in Matthew chapter seven, he warns and he says in the last days, there are many who say, Lord, Lord, to him that aren't going to end up in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Well, the, the reason Jesus gives is because they don't do what the father says. It's much less about what we say and more about what we do. So Paul asks these two questions at the crisis point that determines the future of his life and of his faith. Who are you, Lord? And what shall I do, Lord? Now, let's look at the answer, because what is the response he gets to this? Well, Jesus replies, get up. It's not complicated. It's not like he's laying out the whole of his future plans in front of him. He's just saying the next thing, okay? Just get up and get moving. Get up, get moving. I'll tell you the next step once you've done that. And so he does. Paul obeys. He gets up and he gets moving. He goes to Damascus, just like Jesus told him. And there he meets Ananias, who, by the way, was also only there because he obeyed Jesus and took a huge risk in going to meet this murderer. Who knows what can happen when we actually obey Jesus? And what does Ananias tell him? Well, again, it's not complicated. It's simple. The answer that Ananias gives him in verse 16 is, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. And I love that. What are you waiting for? Because maybe there's some of us that, frankly, we do need a little bit of a kick up the backside. Maybe we already know what God is saying and what he's asking of us, but we haven't done it. What are you waiting for? I know in my own life, it's, it took me a few years putting off the call to ordained ministry. And it took someone to come to me and basically say, what are you waiting for? Get on with it. Now, it might not be a huge life-changing decision. Maybe it's something relatively small. But you know what it is in your heart. And maybe God is saying to you today, what are you waiting for? Get going. 
get up. This is what both Jesus and Ananias say in answer to Paul. Get up. And it's the start of obedience. That's the reason that they say it. It's like a posture of readiness because you can't start walking until you've got up. Are you ready to walk in the way that God calls you? Am I? You might be hoping for a new lease of life and energy and direction in your faith. But are you ready to actually get up? Because that's the first stage. And this is especially true these days when we find that we're isolated so much more than perhaps we were before. Maybe we find that we're watching a lot more church online. Maybe we can't be bothered in some cases to actually go back to church and meet people physically. Perhaps we're not putting the energy into connecting with other people to encourage them in their faith. Get up. We all need to hear it. It's so easy to become spiritually lethargic and sluggish when we're spending a lot of time in front of our computers. So get up. And Ananias then says, be baptised, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now, for Paul, this was the first time that he'd done this. He did confess his sins. He did get baptised. And what an amazing symbol that is of, of the water just washing away all of the things that he had done wrong in the past. And maybe if you've not done that yourself, then God's calling you as well to put your trust in Jesus and to be baptised as a, as a public symbol of what he's done for you. But a lot of us who would call ourselves Christians have been baptised at some point in the past. And the key for us as we hear these words from Ananias is to remember the vows that we took ourselves when we were baptised. And they would have been something like these three. Do you turn to Christ? Do you repent of your sins? And do you renounce evil? Because if we want a new start, these are the three questions that we've got to ask ourselves again. We need to turn to Christ again. We need to repent of our sins again. And we need to renounce evil again. Now, renouncing is a strong word. It's, it's not just saying no, it's, it's slamming the door on it. Say no more to that. Now, it doesn't matter if you've done this before. The baptised life is a life of daily baptism. Turn again, repent again, renounce again. And sometimes, honestly, this is why we've got stuck. This is why we've stalled. This is why we feel like I did in my car that, just unable to find the keys to move forward. We need to just go back to basics and become a Christian again today. Call on his name. Talk to him. Turn to him. Repent again. So as we tie these thoughts to a conclusion, my car was completely stuck and I felt like I needed a miracle. I cried out to God and he heard me and showed me the keys. But do you think I just left them there on the ground? No. Revelation needs to lead to response. So I picked them up. I put them into my car. I started the engine and I moved forward. If I'm honest with myself, it's parts of my life and my faith where I know I need to do the same thing. Where I know that I've actually got to pick up these keys and do something about it. And maybe you do as well. The keys, as we see from Paul's testimony, is the willingness to ask these two questions of God. Who are you, Lord? 
show me again who you are. And in response to that revelation, who are you, Lord? Second question, what shall I do, Lord? Who are you, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? Show me who you are and then show me what I need to do. Okay? These are the keys which I've got to pray and you've got to pray if we're serious about making changes in our life. It's got to be a revelation that's not just in theory. It's got to be a personal one. And then to follow that up with asking what he wants us to do. Now, it does take enormous trust for us to do this because maybe we're scared of asking God, what shall I do, Lord? Because we think, well, he might ask me to do something hard or something that I don't want to do. Like for Paul, for example, sending him to a place where he knew that he was going to get beaten. And sure enough, he did get beaten. Why did he go through with that? And the only answer is that he had asked the first question first. The only reason that Paul was willing to obey whatever Jesus said is because he knew who Jesus was. By this point, he had asked for a revelation of his identity and he'd seen him. He'd encountered him. He tasted of his love, of his goodness, of his power, of his compassion. And he was willing to do anything for him. So if you find yourself struggling to say, Lord, struggling to obey. Then instead of just trying harder and harder, go back to the first question. Say, Lord, I, I need to know who you are. Show me yourself again. Because revelation leads to response. So be honest. Do you want to remain where you are? Or do you want a fresh start? No one can do this for you. You need to go to Jesus on your own and ask those two questions of him. Humbly. Who are you, Lord? Show me who you are. And what shall I do, Lord? Why not start every day this week with those two simple prayers? Wake up in the morning. Who are you, Lord? And what shall I do, Lord? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you in humility and confess that we are not where we would like to be in our faith. But thank you that there is a journey ahead. There is a path ahead that you have called and marked out for each one of us. And where we perhaps feel like we've stalled or we've got stuck or we need to move on. Thank you that in this passage, you've provided the keys for us. Pray for myself and for all those who are listening that we would respond to your call. And that each one of us would honestly ask you for a fresh revelation. Grant that to us. Show us who you are. And then as we repent of our sins, we turn to Christ and renounce evil. You'd show us what you want us to do. We get up and do it.